But let's set that aside. And now let's go back to everything we just sang about. Let's focus on what God has to say to us in his word this morning. And before this event even happened, I was actually already planning on preaching about how do you respond with failure? Something that we all have to deal with. How do you personally move forward from your own failure? We naturally like to just block out our failures and not think about it. It's not, not fun to think about, let alone talk about. And many times on Sundays, as we worship God and look to him, and we see his grandeur, his holiness, and his mercy towards us, we feel loved. We, we, we feel joy when we see that he understands us. And it's a beautiful thing. It's as it should be. But the most stark contrast in your entire existence is feeling the mountaintop experience of knowing God and being heard by God, feeling his presence, compared with the dirty, disgusting feeling of blowing it and hurting someone, making a horrible decision and sitting in that. Coming off a message like last week, where we looked at having that craving, craving the presence of God as your number one pursuit. And we were all motivated and inspired by the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we need that consistently. But it's often in our failures that we truly wake up and realize our own need for God. Both of those things are happening and will happen to you. So in this best of the best series, I spent a lot of time, even before we started, just mapping out the verses that I wanted to cover. And the verse that I was planning on covering today and that we will cover today is Romans 8, 37 through 39. But by Monday afternoon of this week, as I started doing my initial preparation and study, the Lord had already moved in my heart to take a more broader look at not just the truth that nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus, but to also unpack that Romans 8, 37 through 39 passage of Scripture with two other passages of Scripture, really two other life verses that complement this big idea of how you move forward from failure. So I'm calling today's message Heart, Soul, and Mind. Your heart, soul, and mind are all interconnected. In Deuteronomy 6, God says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. And Jesus quotes that in the Gospels, and he says that the greatest commandment is that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind in Matthew twenty-two, thirty-seven. And the easiest way to think about this, this verse right here, is that you should be loving the Lord with your entire being, all of yourself. And the difference between your soul and your heart is perhaps a little blurry for, for most of us in here. And that's, that's actually because there's no real clear distinction in Scripture. 
You may think you have it nailed down, but I could show you dozens of verses scattered throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament that equates your heart and your soul. Now, we have an easier time making a distinction between your mind and your heart. But the closer you look at Scripture, again, the more you're going to see that these two things are intrinsically connected. Solomon says in Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinks in his heart, so is he. So throughout scripture, the word heart is used to refer to the whole of the innermost part of the human, not just the emotions. And I want, I want to bring that up because culturally, you know, in our 21st century English, the word heart is used to express the emotions, usually. You know, it's very common for Americans to divide up us humans into the physical and the metaphysical, the heart and the mind, the thinker and the feeler, the one who wears their emotions on their sleeves, and then the one who is just completely stoic. While this is a widespread sentiment, seeing people as having two separate parts, wherein one part is the emotions, which we refer to as the heart, then the brain, which houses the mind, is just not the picture that we see painted in the Bible. What we do see is that the heart and the mind make up the whole of your being, your soul. And I say all that to say, where we're going with this this morning is we're going to look at some foundational verses. You could call them life verses about your inner self. Your inner self specifically after you have messed up. What do you do when your soul is vexed with how you feel about your own foolish choices? And before we even get into these verses, I want to say first, first of all, that you need to repent. You need to confess your sin to God and you need to do whatever you can do to apologize and let the person you offended know that you are sorry. And that shouldn't be a groundbreaking thing to hear for any of you. But it needs to be said nonetheless, because there are people in their pride who refuse to humble themselves, and they don't go that, to that place and actually apologize. So I don't want you to miss this. 1 John 1, 9 says that we should confess to God. Here's the verse. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And then Matthew 25, 23 through 24 says we should confess our sin to the person that we sinned against. These are the words of Jesus. So if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So after you confess it and own it, a truly repentant person then must deal with the consequences. And often it's actually easy to determine whether or not someone is just sorry for getting caught or they're actually truly repentant of their sin based off of how they respond to dealing with the consequences. If they accept it and move forward with it, that's a very good sign that they are truly repentant. If you're in a relationship that is just one-sided, 
where there's always only one person. Maybe it's you, maybe it's the other person, but there's only one person in that relationship who's ever admitting to any wrongdoing and asking forgiveness. That should be a huge red flag because we all sin. Now, at this point, I want you to think about if you confess and accept the consequences and you pray for the Lord to change your heart and you are now just left with trusting him to iron out the consequences. You can't fix it. You have to give it over to him and allow him to fix it. This is the point where we're going to dive in deep where you have to process it in your own head. How do you move forward and grow through a failure? And I cannot stress this enough. This is for all of us. I make mistakes just like you. I made a mistake on Monday and it was revealed to me on Tuesday morning. It was pretty embarrassing. I had good intentions, but I got sloppy and I didn't react the way I needed to react in the moment. I failed to see how others would take something. And it just, the whole situation did not turn out the way I thought it would. I owned it. I didn't excuse it away, but it still bothers me. And it humbled me and it makes me look to God. I think every single one of us, if we're honest and we do some self-reflection, we can, we can realize, yeah, we're all there. There's a pastor I listen to a little. His name is Alistair Begg. He's pastored faithfully for decades, and his ministry is thriving and full of fruit. And he was asked recently, what caused him the most pain and hardship during his years of ministry? This is a whole bunch of pastors looking to, looking to this man to get some wise advice and some counsel. Everyone was thinking, all right, he's going to tell us how to deal with problems, all these issues that come up that you have to deal with as a pastor. You know what his response was? What has caused you the most pain in the hardship and hardship in your years of faithful ministry? His answer was me. I have caused the most pain to myself. And this is exactly the idea we get from our first life verse this morning. It's Isaiah 26, verse 3. This is our first point. Number one, keep your mind on the Lord. Turn to Isaiah 26 with me. And as you're turning there, I, I do want to just give you a little context. This is a section of Isaiah that some people call the little apocalypse. The prophet Isaiah is pronouncing judgments on Israel for their rebellion towards the Lord. And then in chapters 12 through 23, he pronounces judgments on all the surrounding nations for their rejection of their creator, making themselves their own God. And then in chapters 24 through 27, Isaiah is pronouncing judgment on the entire world, saying that he will empty the earth and make it desolate. I know, what a, what a context to step into, right? On, on this sermon. Well, you know, he hasn't destroyed the world yet. That has not happened. But one day he will create a new heaven and a new earth. Um, but in the midst of this Isaiah 26, this Hallmark movie scene that we have here, Isaiah drops some of the best lines of hope 
in this entire book. In chapter 25, verse 1, he says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name, for you have done wonderful things, plans formed of old, faithful and sure. Then here in chapter 26, follow along, with, follow along with me as I read the first nine verses. We have a strong city. He sets up salvation as walls and bulwarks. Open the gates that the righteous nation that keeps faith may enter in. You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Trust in the Lord forever. For the Lord God is an everlasting rock. For he has humbled the inhabitants of the height of the lofty city. He lays it low, lays it to the ground, casts it to the dust. The foot tramples it. The feet of the poor, the steps of the needy. The paths of the righteous is level. You make level the way of the righteous. In the path of your judgments, O Lord, we wait for you. Your name and remembrance are the desires of our soul. My soul yearns for you in the night. My spirit within me earnestly seeks you. For when your judgments are in the earth, the inhabitants of the world learn righteousness. Look again with me at that verse 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. How do you move forward from fa failure? How do you quiet the waves of guilt and shame that want to sink you into despair? How do you bounce back and rebuild your life, own the consequences, and grow stronger through them? You rely on him. That's the first thing I want you to see about this verse. You are not the anchor. You are not the rock. He is the rock. Now, you may be a rock to someone else, but you are human. And you can't keep your mind at peace. There's too many times when you get in your own way. We all need Jesus. He is the rock. And I remember a song my dad used to sing when I was a kid called, I Need Jesus. I need him in the sunshine hour. I need him in the storm clouds lower. Every day along the way, yes, I need Jesus. So first and foremost, rely on him, seek him. It's not going to be from your own strength that you get through this. It's going to be because of his. And the second piece of this verse is to keep your mind stayed on him. So stay on him. Don't pray for five minutes and then just move on. Stay with him. Doesn't that sound a little bit like dwelling? Remember that word from last week? This takes some discipline. This means you open up the word, and before you even start reading it, you ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you. I think it's really easy for us in these kind of moments to not stay on him. We can look at him for a second and then we can easily divert our gaze over to what we want to see. And, and it's a very common problem where people will craft Jesus into their own image. They don't stay focused on him and instead they twist their relationship with him into something that they desire, something that they want. I mean, I grew up in a very conservative Christian uh, Christian circles growing up. You know, I went to a 
right-leaning Christian university, and I had a good education. I didn't necessarily love everything about it at the time, but a lot of people that I grew up with and friends that I had, even looking back to high school and college, they had a very skewed version of Christianity, and their faith to them, their entire faith, well, you could boil it down to just straighten up and do right, okay? So they couldn't do this, they couldn't say that, they couldn't go there, and it was rigid, and in many cases, the spirit was suffocated out of the environment, and it was rules-centric. And the sad thing is, when you make that the emphasis of your faith, people have this skewed version of, of the gospel of grace, and a lot of those people that I grew up with, years down the road, they deconstruct their faith. It's a very common problem. So they've, but in the process of doing that, they've chucked out the truth. And what they do is they create their own version of spirituality. And it's, and it's just common in hardcore legalistic elements of the church. The kids who grow up and see that tainted version of Christianity become the progressive Christians who are spiritual, but they compromise the truth and they create their own truth. And I don't know where everyone is at in the room today, but I know that we all see bad representations of Christ from time to time. We all see that because we're all human and we all fail. The church is full of humans like you and me who make mistakes. But this is what we have to do. We have to get our eyes off of everyone else and get your eyes on the true and living Jesus Christ. Set your affection on things above. It's about processing your feelings and your emotions, which are good. God gave you those. But interpret them through his truth, not just through your own desires. Paul says in Romans 12, do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And of course, this falls in line with the last declaration of Isaiah 26.3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. So trust him. That's the third part of the verse. The secret to working through the pain of your own mistakes isn't to trust yourself to find yourself. It's to trust your God. Trusting in yourself and finding your inner strength is never going to bring you peace because you will never arrive at the point where you don't fail. And I hate to break it to you. I know it's not what you want to hear. It's not what you hear on self-help podcasts that are really, really popular. People eat up that self-empowerment stuff all the time because it makes us feel so good for a season until you get hurt by someone else and you start a vicious cycle of, of doubting yourself all over again, the peace that surpasses understanding is only found in your relationship with God. So trust, just like Psalm, like, just like Psalm, 37, 4 verses 5, uh, Psalm 37, 4 and 5 say, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. So you seek his presence and you stay with him. You take your mind off of everyone else. You take your mind off of your own weaknesses and you direct everything, all of your thoughts to the God who loves you, your God who is your rock. Secondly, 
There's another verse that plays right off of this one, and it's from the mouth of Jesus. It's John 16, 33. It's the second point this morning. Go ahead and turn there with me to John 16, 33. This is the second point. Take heart. He has overcome the world. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is a chapter where Jesus is explaining that he won't always be with his beloved disciples. He's starting to explain that he's going to leave earth and their sorrow will be turned to joy because he's going to leave them with his spirit and is alluding to all the truth that he's been teaching over the last three years, the truth that shines brightest in the darkness. And he's not saying that it's going to be all sunshine and rainbows when he leaves. He says the exact opposite, right? In this world, you will have tribulation. It's a fact of life that we've all felt. As a matter of fact, if you're not feeling any tribulation at all, and you're just skating through life, there's no adversity, dare I say there's, there's a problem, okay? Because the only people I know who live every minute of life and they never have any problems, the only people I know that, that are like that are fake and dishonest, okay? If you don't face any adversity, the question must be asked, are you standing for truth? I mean, it could be, there could be a situation where you've just, like, I don't care about anything. I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to just run from every single problem. You can do that for a while, and you can think that you're, that you're getting rid of adversity and you're ignoring adversity, but it, it'll just come back and, and bite you even harder, right? In this world, you will have tribulation. Paul told Timothy that all who live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But take heart. Don't worry. Be confident. Step up. Face it. Because you're not fighting this battle alone. It's not even your battle. It's called spiritual warfare. And we're going to see that in the second, in our third point. Spiritual warfare is described in Romans 12, 1, 1 and 2. It's a battle for truth in your mind. And Jesus says here, take heart, I have overcome the world. There's nothing in this world that's too big for him. Because he created, he created this world. So there are things that are too big for you to handle on your own. But there's nothing in this world that's too big for you if your life is hidden with Christ. If it's all up to you, look out. You're going to feel it. But take heart. Jesus has overcome the world. And in our next verse, he calls you to be more than a conqueror. Romans 8, 37 through 39. Go ahead and turn to Romans 8. This is our third point. Become more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ. I love this chapter. A couple years ago, we preached an entire series through, through Romans 8. 
I remember this because like Christmas season came up and I was like, all right, we can't stop. This is just so good. So we just kind of threw out, you know, pulled out the, the Christmas themes that were in Romans 8 and, and we just kept going. But follow, me, follow along with me as I start reading in verse 31 of Romans 8. Romans 8, 31. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We, re we are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, no. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus, our Lord. If God is for you, who can be against you? Who can be against you? Whoever it is, they're going to fail. They have no chance. So it doesn't matter what they say to you. It doesn't matter how bad you screwed up. Who shall bring a charge against God's elect? If you are in Christ Jesus today, if you are saved by the grace of God, that sin that is beating you up, that you are, that's eating you away, it's under the blood. And you can move forward because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Look at, that, look at that line there again. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? When we have failed, sometimes it's ourselves, right? <laughs> sometimes it's other people. But, but in that moment where you're trying to move forward, a lot of times it's, it's you. I can't believe I said that. I can't believe I did that. Why did I allow that to happen? Why didn't I just turn it off? What was I doing? What was I thinking? You know that one of the names of our enemy, Lucifer, is the accuser of the brethren? He accuses us. I can't believe you did that. You're such an idiot. You really blew it again. You will never get this right. You will never be able to fix this. Those thoughts, that's the enemy. How do I know that's the enemy? Because it's the exact opposite of what we read in Scripture. The Lord Jesus Christ never talks to you that way in Scripture. You never see that line of talking or that, that, that accusation about a, a child of God in Scripture ever. So when you're thinking that in your own head, I am just a failure. I blew it. I can't believe I did this. And you're beating yourself up over it. Step back and think, who's talking right now? Whose voice are you listening to? Is it the voice of God? Is this the way he describes you in his word? Or is this an accusation from your enemy? 
the principalities and the powers of this air. They're right here in this verse. 37, 38, 39. They attack you through a barrage of different ways. So while Satan is the accuser of the brethren and his fallen angels and principalities and powers are structured and organized and they have centuries upon centuries of observation and they have hatred for you who are made in God's image and they pounce and they attack your thoughts, they use different ways to attack you. Like a roaring lion, he seeks, he roams about seeking whom he may devour. And we don't have time to get into the, all of the spiritual warfare components of it all. We can't even fully understand all of this, but it's, it's very real. We all experience it. So he's the accuser of the brethren, but what do we know about Jesus? What's another name for Jesus? He's our advocate. Who is to condemn? What does this verse say? What is the, what is the next answer to that, to that question that Paul just proposed? Who is to condemn? Well, it better not be you. You know why? Because Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who was at the right hand of God interceding for us. So when Satan accuses us, Jesus is right there. He's our advocate, and he's, he's pointing to his scars. I already paid for that. That's what he's saying. Yes, you failed. Yes, you sinned. But that sin has been covered, and I sacrificed my life, and I defeated death by dying for it on the cross. One thing that I've learned over the years is that when I hear, for the, I hear from the Lord, he always calls me by my name. And it's not an audible voice. I've never heard an audible voice like Samuel or Gideon. But just, just think about this. You go through the Bible, throughout the scripture, from the Old Testament all the way through the New Testament. Every time God addresses his children, he calls them by name. It's not, you can't, you can't do that. How dare you? It's always Samuel, Gideon, Moses, David. He talks to you by your first name. He never comes at us in the second person. You bum. Never. Never. It's never God. That's the enemy. Our enemy hates us so much that he doesn't even have it in him to call us by name. He just straight attacks us. But when you are feeling those accusatory thoughts and you're wrestling them with them in your mind, just ask, is this what God says about me in his word? Is this how God would talk to his new creation? Or is this someone else coming at me? If you have confessed your sin and trusted in the death and the resurrection of Jesus for your personal salvation, you are his child and nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 37 again. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Worship team, you can come up.
right here. And I just have to say one more time, when you fail and you feel like your world is crashing down, keep your mind on the Lord. Take heart. He has overcome the world. And through his mercy and through his grace, you can become more than a conqueror because he has overcome. No matter what you did, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. So for all of you who are thinking, I have so much pain from the past. I have anxiety in the present. And I worry about the future. What you need to do is you need to take those thoughts and you need to truly believe that the past was part of God's plan. That's exactly what Romans 8, 18 through 25 say. The past was part of God's plan. And the presence, the present doesn't need to be full of anxiety. It can be full of his presence. And the future. Yes, there's a lot to worry about the future if it's just up to us, right? If it's all on us, then yeah, worry away. But the future is not just up to us. It's in the hands of God. And the future will be worked out for good, just like he says in Romans 8, 28. I would encourage you to write these verses down. Take a picture of it, whatever you need to do. Go back and read these verses in Romans 8. These are the kind of verses that you need when you are down. After you have failed, you need to see this truth. Because this chapter emphatically says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Romans 8.1. Even if you feel differently, it doesn't change that truth. Because God loves you, and there is nothing you can ever do to change that. There is nothing that can separate you from the love of God. Would you stand up, church? We're going to sing. We're going to praise him. But before you sing personally, I want to encourage you to take your failure, whatever that is, and, and if there's something that has been troubling you, that you've been beating yourself up over, past or present, I want you to just hand it over to God and trust him with that. Spend some time praying with him and let's sing to our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ.